So things are going to be a little different tonight. Uh, we're not necessarily getting into Malachi. Uh, we're going to talk about marriage and divorce um, and go through that. I, I don't know. Honestly, we may get done a little early tonight. Would that be okay with everybody? I've, yeah, I mean, I've never seen anyone get upset when a sermon or a lesson went early. Five minutes over, though, and people will not forget it for the rest of their life. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. I understand. We'll have a we'll have a twenty minute lesson and hour and so prayer meeting afterward there just for Chris. So lunch money's worth. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, let's have a word of prayer and then uh, we'll kind of jump into this. Um, yeah, let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we're grateful tonight, thankful to uh, be able to come together on this beautiful day, uh, thankful for everyone who's taken their time out, um, who's been consistent uh, with uh, coming to these classes. Uh, I'm grateful to be a part of this and grateful for um, just the tremendous amount of, of teaching uh, that has went into my life that's uh, allowed me to help prepare these things and, and hopefully they'll be uh, helpful for others and um, hoping these things are being taught in other places as well and uh, that we can keep uh, discipling people and growing the church and growing in ourselves here. And, uh, but Father, we, we're here to build ourselves up on our, on our most holy faith, and we just pray that you bless our efforts. And uh, in, in, our, uh, in our effort to do that, we, we pray that, Father, truth is our uh, ultimate goal here, that we are uh, you know, searching your scriptures to see your will and to see the truth. And, uh, Father, we can see clearly where we fit with that. And uh, I pray that uh, uh, we can get out of our own way in some of these ideas and let your scriptures speak uh, where they need to speak. And then uh, pray that we are uh, just courageous enough to uh, wield that sword of the Spirit in our lives that we could uh, put these things into practice. And it's, it's, it's of no use if it's just information uh, and not put into practice. So we pray that, uh, Father, we are... Um, just uh, being courageous with that in our congregations and our lives and our families. We pray tonight for wisdom as we uh, look through the texts here at some difficult things. And uh, we pray this, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> all right. Um, you all have a sheet there. Uh, did ever anyone not get the sheet? Okay, we got one. I, I don't have them up here, so... Uh, uh, all right, so tonight, like I said, tonight's going to be a little different. The PowerPoint's not super full either, so I was kind of hoping we could kind of get some discussion going on some of this tonight. Um, we're going to deal with, uh, as far as a controversial topic goes, this is, this is up there. I mean, you know, baptism's controversial if you're talking to denominational people. Uh, you know, Lord's Supper is, is controversial when you're talking to denominational people. I guess sometimes in the Lord's Church that stuff's controversial. It shouldn't be. But this one's one where it seems like, you know, we're kind of all over the place on, on where we are with the topic of marriage and divorce. And the reason it's important is statistically, you're, you know, about half the people you deal with have been in a divorce. And so we need to know what to do with this. And, you know, the statistics out, you know, J.R. was mentioning some of the statistics that he, when, when was that that you heard him? About 25. And what were they then? Had been divorced, 64% divorced. Is it the same crowd? 84% of that crowd was in their second, or had, or had been divorced twice already, yeah. So, you know, the statistics, I think, currently look a little better than that, but it's not because we got marriage figured out, it's because fewer people are marrying, and so fewer people are divorcing, but that. Um, you know, but, uh, but like I said, the statistics aren't good. I mean, it's, it's about 50%. And you would expect 
that those statistics would look better in the church than they do in the world, but guess what? It doesn't change. Yeah, when you start looking at churchgoers, it's still about 50%. Now, should it be that way? So what's happened there? Get tired of your mate? Trade them in? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's because we're not using a biblical foundation for marriage to start with. I, I think the problem is not enough preaching, not enough teaching on family, on, on, on marriage, on those issues, and that the foundation for most people's marriages are no different than, than, than the foundation of a marriage in the world. And so, you know, when you're working with the same materials, you're going to get the same sort of product out of it. And, and I, I think that's where we're at. And, you know, when you start looking at where people get most of their information about marriage, and, and you know, I, I've, I've, I've got, I got a young couple that Glencoe's getting ready to get married. And uh, whenever, you know, I'm going to marry a couple, first off, we, we got to make sure everyone's a Christian. So that's, that, that's, that's the first step. And second step is, uh, step is I've got some marriage preparation that we go through. And it's several weeks. It's not, it's not a meeting or two. It's not, let's go over what, I mean, it's, it's a lot of questions about what you grew up with. You know, what are some things you like uh, and admire about your mom? What are things you admire about your dad? What are things you don't admire about your mom? What are things you don't admire about your dad? And trying to, because here's the thing, where do most people get their image of marriage? They, they either get it from home or they get it from TV or, you know, which, you know, but that's it. I mean, when, if it's not the Bible, right, you're getting it somewhere. And so the first place we get it is the home we grew up in. Well, how many of us grew up in a home with an imperfect marriage? Okay, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean we bro- grew up in a broken home, but, you know, if your parents weren't living the biblical pattern, if they weren't both faithful Christians and raising you up to be a faithful Christian, you know, it wasn't the pattern that God had planned, right? And so that doesn't make them horrible people. It just means that you didn't grow up with a biblical pattern for a marriage to imitate and follow. And so that's most people, guys. That's most people didn't grow up with that example. And so, you know, we're, we're basing marriage off the same thing the world's basing marriage off, and so we're getting the same kind of results from it. And, you know, we talked a, a couple weeks ago about marriage and the church, and the, the point of marriage is to teach a lesson about Christ and His church. And those lessons only get taught when the, when the marriage follows the biblical pattern. And, and we mentioned that, you know, almost every problem that we're seeing in, in marriage in our society, you can see the same spiritual problem in the church. Right? And so what are some problems we're seeing regarding marriage in our society? Unfaithfulness in our... Okay, do, do we see unfaithfulness in the church? Yeah, almost like it's expected. Right? You know that, that there's a thing now... They, they, what's now, it's been 20 years ago. They Starter marriages? Where you, you get into the marriage with the assumption that it's not going to last... Like this is only going to last for a few years. We'll both outgrow each other. You know, we'll fall out of, out of love with one another. You hear that a lot. Well, I just, you know, you can't help who you love. And we just fell out. of Like love's a ditch you fall in. You know what I mean? That's the idea. Uh, and so we treat love that way. And so people just grow apart. And so it's expected now. That's how a lot of people are. And, and, and in the church, what do we expect? I mean, on, if we're honest with ourselves, do we really expect faithfulness from our congregations? We're happy if they show up a couple times a month. You know what I mean? As long as the, the bills are being paid and the pews aren't completely empty, we think we're doing a pretty good job. Does that mean we're being faithful? 
you know, pretty low standards, you see, and so we see that. And what other problems are we seeing in our society about marriage? Okay, unwillingness to submit or be submissive, okay? And so we see issues like that in the church. How does that manifest itself in a marriage? Okay, role reversal, okay? Yeah, and so, you know, you see that a lot. Um, usually, and, and, you know, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but when you see a couple and the woman is wearing the pants in the, in the relationship, okay, so she's, you know, she's married to a real mouse of a man, right? Is she happy in that relationship? She wants control, but then she resents him for not being a leader you know what I mean and so it, it doesn't work it falls apart nobody's happy those marriages don't don't usually work out real well and so in the church do you see some role reversal and who's in charge all the time we do yeah you know whenever we decide that the only thing that matters is baptism and the Lord's Supper and we have free reign to do whatever we want with the rest of it that's a role reversal it's it's you didn't die for the church I didn't die for the church the elders didn't die for the church the preacher didn't die for the church you know, Jesus died for his church. It is his church. He did not go out. He did not say go and build this church on whatever rock you find, right? On this rock, build my church. It's his church. But we have issues with that where we don't want to submit. We don't want to submit wholly to his authority. And so there's some role reversals there. How about this one? We see homosexual marriage, right? We've taken one of the, of the, of the, one of the equation. We've, we've kind of thrown it out. So you've got... Uh, you know, instead of a man and a woman being married, it's a woman and a woman or a man and a man. Do we see churches that are more in love with themselves than they are with the Lord? Yeah. And, and here's, there, here's the evidence of that, okay? And, and this, this is, you'll see this all the time. People will think they're being evangelistic, okay? And so what they'll do is they say, Chris, you should, uh, man, you should come to church with me Sunday. You'd love our church. Our church is so great. It's got everything you need. Stuff for the kids. The music is great. The preacher's funny. He doesn't preach for a long time. You would love our church. What would we just push? Yeah, usually what we call evangelism, like we don't even mention our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All we're doing is trying to market our church to people. We're more in love with our church than we are our Savior. Okay, and so, you know, so anyway, my point is we see, you know, when we see these things affecting marriage in our families, you know, sure enough, if you look hard enough, you're going to see it affecting the church too. And so those are, those are issues, you know. And so anyway, we live in a culture right now where marriage is under attack at, at every turn uh, from our culture, from our world, and, and the church isn't ready for it. We're not ready to fight those battles. We're not preparing our congregations to stand, uh, you know, where they need to stand. We're not raising up our kids to understand what, because most of, most of our churches are kind of blind to what's really happening anyway. You know, I can remember when the homosexual marriage thing was a big deal, you know, what, maybe 10 years ago? Has it been that long? Maybe not quite that long. And I remember talk, you know, looking at Christians everywhere who acted like, it's not my problem. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm already married, right? I, I'm, I'm not a homosexual, so I don't, you know, what does it matter if they want to make, want to allow for homosexual marriage, right? And so the church's attitude was, doesn't affect me, so I don't care. Does it affect us? Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. Okay, and we've seen how quickly things went 
from, from that point on. And so, so anyway, like I said, I, I don't think we're prepared. I don't think we're paying enough attention to these things. Uh, I don't think we're dealing with it enough uh, from the pulpit. Uh, I don't think those things are being taught, you know, from the pulpit to the house, to the family, to the dinner table. We've we got to get these things right. And so, but one way or the other, if you're going to be evangelistic and you're going to deal with people, you're going to run into people who have dealt with divorce, people who are on the edge of divorce. Um, don't think for a second that just because we're in the church that this is not an issue that is going to spring up even among Christian couples. And, you know, and we know that for a fact because when it's brought up in the Bible multiple times, you know, the, the, we go back into Deuteronomy and we find out that, there, you know, that Moses had, had to deal with this because of the hardness of people's hearts. Well, what group was those people? They were God's people, right? So, I mean, don't, you know, it's, it'd be nice to think we've moved beyond those issues, but God's people haven't, we've not grown all that much in, in, in those thousands of years. And so, uh, same, same issue. So, so anyway, this, this is something we got to figure out what to do with. Now, like I said, this is a controversial topic. Um, you know, you've probably, you probably, you probably believe something about divorce when you walked in here tonight. Uh, probably no one here is just completely a blank slate on the topic. And so I'm going to assume that you came in here tonight and you've kind of already settled where you're at with it. And that, that's okay. Uh, and I'm also prepared for the fact that you may not agree with me when we're done. And that, you know, that's okay too. What, what we're going to do though is we're going to kind of walk through this. This is not a comprehensive discussion on this. Um, this is not crossing every I and dotting every T. Uh, or the other way around, okay, seeing if you're awake. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, we're going to deal with it the best that I can deal with it tonight, and maybe this will get that door open for you, maybe get you thinking about some things, uh, maybe some things there that, you know, we haven't looked at before be worth looking at. But I know, you know, the, 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 the opinions on this topic are, are vast. And so, um, anyway, I, like I said, I'm, I'm prepared for... Uh, whatever we end up dealing with here with it. So, um, so here's the thing. Let's talk about some of the modern teachings that we end up with on the topic of divorce today. Uh, what are some things, not necessarily what you believe, but what are some things that we hear today? This is where you participate. So, <laughs> Well, just, just teachings on it. What, what's, what congregations or what some churches are teaching about, about the idea of divorce. Okay, that's, that's, that's pretty common, right? Uh, we hear this a lot, that there's absolutely no divorce unless there's some sort of adultery that's been, is that what you said? Yeah. Oh, yeah, some sort of infidelity has taken place. Have we heard this before? Okay, so let, let, me, let me start out by, you know, I, I, I think I shared this with Jake. I actually know of a congregation, okay, the Lord's Church, where, you know, this is, the, this is the idea they're holding, right? No divorce unless there's, there's some adultery taking place. There's a couple in the congregation don't want to be married to each other anymore. Can't stand each other. They've both already picked out new mates, by the way. They, they know where they're heading, but they can't get out of their divorce because no one's cheated on each other. So guess what the preacher encourages them to do? If you all go ahead and commit adultery, then you can get your divorce and you can marry these, you know, these other two people that were also in the church, you know, so what a mess, right? What an absolute disaster of a mess, but that's, well, there, there, well, 
Now you're getting nitpicky here, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. like I said. I don't agree with this. Okay, I'm just saying. You know, the, the, see, here's the here's the issue. When we some of these things, you know, we can look at and say, okay, that kind of looks well. Let's follow this through. You know, we've got to we've got to be practical about all of this because the Bible is a practical book, and so we've got to. You know, sometimes it's easy to grab onto an idea when you've not actually dealt with it yet. You know, and, and you've never never had to, to flesh it out a little bit. So. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's obvious issues there, right? And so, yeah, if you've already committed adultery in your heart, you know, if you've lusted after, you know, those sorts of things. Um, okay, what are some other ideas that we have heard, other, other teachings that we hear today? Okay. So you're not married. Oh, okay. So if you, you're married, then you become a Christian. Then divorce is on the table because you weren't a Christian when you married. Okay, we have we heard this side. This is this is a common idea. I've heard this too. Um, I've heard the other side of this too. What's the more extreme view of that? Where if you married and you weren't a Christian, God didn't see the marriage anyway. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if you need to get married again after you become. You know, like I said, there's issues with with a lot of these things when it comes to the practicality of it. Um, yeah, there you go. There you go. Okay, what else? Have we, have we heard any other things? Never. Some do take the stance of just no divorce. Period. At all. Mm-hmm. Period. And that obviously is a situation. Okay. Yeah, okay. So again, uh, in the Lord's Church, I know I know this, this is a teaching that's very common, uh, but I know specifically of, of, of one congregation uh, and, and the preacher's kind of proud of the fact that he's, he's worked through a couple that were on, on the fence of divorce and he encouraged them just to separate but stay married. They're, they're still legally married, uh, so there wasn't a divorce, but they live in separate homes. They have nothing to do with each other. And so that's fine because they're still married. Is that biblical marriage? Yeah, I don't, yeah, so, okay. So anyway, so there's issues there too, right? Um, here, here's something that, that comes up. And so a lot, a lot, some of these ideas are stemmed from Catholicism. Uh, a whole lot of our ideas on divorce we've adopted from Catholicism. And so I'll just, uh, you know, uh, Jim Spinotti, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you because, you know, of course he grew up Catholic. And so, um, you know, he was telling me there that his dad got a divorce in the Catholic Church. And his dad, of course, the Catholic Church, they don't, they don't recognize divorce. So what, instead of getting a divorce, what he had to do is he had to pay a certain amount of money to the church. And then they, they what did they do? They, they annulled it. So it was like they never got married to begin with. Okay? And so they, just, they don't see the marriage now. The problem then was that all the kids were illegitimate, which is a problem. So they had to, he has to pay, a, I think it's a yearly sum to the church for the church to see the kids as legitimate children from a marriage that never existed. So I'm not sure how you get it. You know, that's really getting around the problem. <laughs> you know, so uh, has anyone ever heard of, I mean, I, I saw some heads nodding. This is, this is common, yeah. Um, how about this one? I, I've, I've heard where, okay, if, if, um, if a couple gets divorced and remarried, that they have to get divorced and remarry back to the original couple. You heard that before. Yeah, yeah. So I've heard that too. The only way to fix it, the only way to repent, 
is to divorce your current wives. You two have to remarry, and then everything's fine. So that's that's a common idea as well. So, and the ten kids you had in the pro, we we kind of pretend that didn't happen, and yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. So like I said, I, these are all some things that I've heard. Um, you know, uh, I've heard once you're divorced, you know, again, you can't remarry. Uh, marrying a, a divorced individual becomes sin. It's adultery. And so, anyway, things get confusing and things get, it's easy to start contradicting things when we start talking about all this. And so, anyway, this is some of the things that we're going to try to sort out. The, the f- two things that we need to get in our heads tonight before we move forward. And one of them I don't, is, is going to be harder for some of us than the other. The first thing is we've got to get our heads out of the United States in 2023. Okay? Because, you know, that's, that's going to be a stumbling block for us. If we can't get our heads out of how this works here in America, then, then it's going to be harder for us to see what's going on in the Bible. And so a lot of times we kind of take our circumstance, throw it in the context of the Bible, and then think we've got things figured out, and, and it doesn't always work out that way. So that's going to be one issue that we're going to have. The other issue that we're going to have, and we're going to spend some time in this first half of this class going over this, and I'm not sure how much we need to go over this. And so we're going to talk about dishonest Bible translations. Okay, now I say that knowing full well that some of you, I'm sure, are very loyal to your Bible translation. Um, you know, I know how easy it is to get attached to a certain translation of the text and, and uphold it to a high standard and to sit back and admit that even uh, the cream of the crop here might have some dishonesty in it might be hard for us to swallow. So let's, let's kind of evaluate what I'm talking about here. The, the, you know, I don't know how, how much, how, has there been a lot of Greek translational talk in the past here? I mean, if we dove into how this works in general, I mean, should we start at the bottom or? No, I mean, it's been addressed. Okay. Okay, okay. So here's the thing. We hear people talking about, everybody wants to, you know, sometimes people make the claim, well, this translation of the Bible is the most accurate. And I'm just going to say that there's, we can't say that about any translation of the Bible because it's a translation. And, and if you understand how translation works, it's not like translating from one language to another is A equals A and B equals B. You know, it, it doesn't work like that because the whole language is structured differently than our language, right? So the Greek language, and I'm, I'm just going to go with the Greek because there is no way that in the, any of the foreseeable future I'm ever going to get into learning Hebrew um, but, you know, we kind of can cheat a little bit there because the Hebrew text was translated into Greek. And does anyone know what that was called? The Septuagint. And when Jesus quoted, often he would quote from the Old Testament Septuagint. And so he would quote from that Greek. And so, so you know, if we get the Greek sort of figured out, that kinda, we can kind of use that everywhere, you know. And so that's, that's, that's kind of nice. The other thing to know is that, that if Jesus could use a translation... We don't have to know the Greek. We are allowed to use a translation. There's nothing wrong with that. But when using a translation, be aware of the limitations there, right? And so, ever t- how many of you have taken a foreign language class in your life at some point? It doesn't have to be Greek. It could be Spanish, French. A lot of us have some experience with that. And so, you probably understand that you can take a, a phrase and say Spanish, and you could probably translate that two or three different ways and be, be accurate 
in each of those instances, right? And so, um, you know, and so the Greek language is kind of the same thing. There's, there's a lot of different ways you can get across the, the, uh, the, the text and what it's saying. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of words that have to be added in the English because those, those words are kind of assumed in the Greek, right? And so if we had an actual literal translation of the Greek, it would be unreadable in the English. None of it would make sense. It wouldn't sound like sentences. It would be very, very confusing and hard to read. And so things have to kind of be added for emphasis. Now, translations used to be more honest about it. And when they added things for emphasis, they would italicize them in our text. Nowadays, most of our translations have dropped that and just leave it in there like everything else. So it's kind of hard to tell right now. I know of a, of a guy in the Lord's church right now that's real, um, he's hung up on the word added in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 souls were added. And he's, he's, you know, he's, he's kind of made this a whole doctrine on this idea of added. Like how, how can you add 3,000 to nothing is, is kind of his thing. And so he's, he, he's come to the conclusion that the church had to have started before Acts chapter 2. Um, well, first off, you can add to zero. Um, so that's, yeah, so uh, that's something you can do. The other thing is that word added isn't there in the Greek. It, it was added for emphasis, okay? And so, yeah, it's, isn't it ironic? So, so anyway, you're kind of making a mountain out of nothing there, you know what I mean? And so you've got to be careful making entire doctrinal claims, right, uh, off, off of some things like that. But, but anyway, um, you know, when people translate the Bible, it would be lovely to sit up here and say that people's only agenda is to be accurate and to be specific and to be consistent when they're translating the Bible. But the truth is, people have an agenda, okay? And, and I, I, I try to stress this a lot when I teach. We have an agenda too, okay? Don't, don't, there's none of us in here who are, you know, so high and mighty that we don't have an agenda. I have an agenda when I teach and preach. I have an agenda when I read the Bible. I wish I didn't. Uh, my goal is to identify that and try to keep it out of the way. But, you know, I, when I teach, there's a goal that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to. You know, and so the goal should be the truth. And, and that, that, you know, it'd be nice if that's where we're always at. But we have ideas in our minds. We have an agenda when we're looking at the Bible. Uh, maybe that doesn't mean that it's a deceptive agenda or that there's any, any malice, you know, or uh, anything like that to it. But to sit back and say, we have no agenda, no preconceived ideas when we open up the book, that's, it's just not true. And so the, the best thing we can do is identify that, admit that, be honest about it, and try to keep it out of the way. Right, but it, but you know, to act like we don't is probably dangerous, more dangerous than the fact that we do. And so, um, our agenda should be: let's arrive to the truth, let's determine what God has said, let's take that back to our side of things and see how to apply it. You know, that that should be kind of the way that should look. And you know, some people though they look to the Bible and what they're wanting to do is they're wanting to make God say what they've already decided they want God to say. Okay, and, 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 and that happens. Uh, for example, you know, sometimes you may encounter, uh, you know, maybe a denominational person that'll look into Mark, Mark 16 there and they'll read it, whoever believes and is saved should be baptized. Is that what it says? No. Why would they word it that way? Yeah, now I've, I've, I've met people where I've said, will you read that verse? Yeah, whoever believes and is saved should be baptized. 
They don't even realize that they're being deceptive. They, like, they, don't, they don't even see the agenda that they have when they're reading it. But the, you know, until I say read it one word at a time, it doesn't even hit them that they're reading it wrong. Okay? And if you don't think we've done that, all of us have done that with something. Because there's so many things that, that I've, I've, I've hit and I'm like, oh my goodness, I've read that wrong my entire life. Like I just, it came out of my mouth a certain way and when you start breaking things down word by word, you realize that's not what that says. You know, and, and we just hit one there Sunday. I was preaching there in Ephesians 5 where it says that you are, you, you once were darkness and now you are the light. And I, you know, and I know that I've read that before and said you once were in darkness that's not what it says. The Bible says you are dark. You were darkness. That you were darkness, and now you are light. And like I said, I've read that before, and I put that word in. I was in darkness. Now I'm in the light. That's that's not what it says. Those words aren't in there. You know that seems kind of harmless. But the point is, we we've done this at some point. And so sometimes people look, and what they're looking for is to make sure the Bible agrees with what they already believe. And 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 so now, when it comes to Bible translations, what else do you think might play a factor? Okay, denominational affiliation. How do you think that might play a role in things? Support their doctrine. Okay. Does anyone here use the New American Standard? A couple of us, okay. Does anyone got the new edition? Have you all heard about it already? The 2020? What are some of the problems in the 2020? Okay, they're, yeah, they're, they're... Unnecessarily remove a lot of the he and the mankind and yep, yep. that sort of thing and make it they. I think I heard 16. They've got Acts 22, 16. They've messed it all up. Yeah, and Romans 6 is bad too. They've got it all out of order where you're saved before you're baptized and everything else. Yeah, and, but Acts 22, 16 is probably the word. I don't even remember what it says. Do you remember how they've got it? Okay, probably best not to. Just don't look it up. It's bad. Okay, but you know, but someone did that. Someone's not being honest there. You know, for, for you to twist the, the translation because the, the Greek does not support what they've done to it. And then here's the thing. It was right. You, don't, you see what I'm saying? So to go from right to wrong, you don't do that accidentally. Right there, someone did that with intention, and so so denominational affiliation, trying to prove a point with the text, that is absolutely part of. What else might go and in, factor into a translation? Here's one that I didn't know about till recently, and I just I never crossed my mind. Did you know copyright goes plays a big role in this? Yeah, so in order, you know, like if, if, if Jake wanted to have the Jake New Testament printed up or whatever, you know, and uh, it, it's got on the cover, he's got his mutated goat on it and stuff. And yeah, <laughs> and Jake's fun house. Yeah, so if he wanted to have his own train, it has to be different enough from the other ones or we copy, we're infringing on copyright. So sometimes you're reading, it's like, where did they get this from? Like it's so different from every other translation. It's out of order. It doesn't, it, the, the Greek text doesn't back it up. Sometimes it's just they had to change it enough. And so again, it being, being accurate and, and, and being truthful, that's, that's not why they do that. It's because we need to make sure we can sell a new translation. And so do you think money plays a part in some of this? 
Sure it does. You got to, you know, you want to be able to sell, um, you know, a, a, a translation that everyone's going to buy, right? And so we can't, we're not going to be completely honest with things. And so here, here's some evidences of that. You know, we know, you know, we know the word baptism um, doesn't exist in the English language, or it didn't, right? I mean, it's not like a real word. It's a transliteration of a Greek word, which is different than a translation. A transliteration is when you take, uh, uh, you know, a word in one language and just try to try to, you know, um, swap the letters for the English equivalent, and then what does it sound like? And that's what we'll call. It. I'm trying to think if there's another, uh, if there's anything else like that. Um, you know, it, okay, it'd be like going to the Mexican restaurant and saying you want to order a, a fajita, okay, instead of a fajita, right? So you just transliterated that word, okay? And so, so baptism, that's what they did with baptism. The Greek word, and who knows what the Greek word was? Baptisma, right? So we know, you know, and so instead of translating that accurately, they, they came up with a new word. Now, they, there was an agenda for that. There was a reason they did that, right? And so what does baptismo mean? It means immerse. It means to plunge beneath water every time. That's, that's all it can mean. And so that's very specific, okay? And, you know, we, we've talked about this in the tabernacle class a little bit. There were all sorts of different words that you could use that, that could kind of be translated into some form of that. But, but that word specifically means to plunge or immerse beneath water. There's no way to get around that. Of course, what was the common practice at the time? That... that yeah, they're sprinkling, right? And and there's and why were they sprinkling? Where did that come from? Jr. said Catholics. You can say it out loud. We're not afraid of them. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. So, but why 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 did the Catholics start sprinkling? Well, well, the babies, right? You can't plunge the baby under the water, and so well, now why were they baptizing babies? Because of original sin, right? And so if we're born sinful, right, what happens to a baby if it dies, if it's in sin? And so we got to do something about that. So we got to baptize the baby, except we're not going to baptize a baby, so we're going to sprinkle a baby. You, you see how it all, you know, as soon as you, you know, people act like, well, they're, they're right on most things. It doesn't work that way. The Bible is like a tapestry, and you pull a thread, and it distorts the whole picture. Right, and so we start we start messing with sin and the origin of sin and how it's inherited, and then now we've got issues with babies, and then now we're changing baptism, and you know, and then you know, you see how it all ties together. And so the practice at the time we're going to sprinkle instead of immerse. And so when the English translators were looking at baptismo, they thought we can't put immersed here because that's going to get us in trouble because that's not what anybody's practicing. So what did they do? We make up a word. Right, and what's nice about made-up words is if you make up if a word, you can make it mean anything you want. And so today, if someone looks up the word baptism in an English dictionary, what does it say? Every different way that that word gets used today, and then people are like, "Well, see, it's okay to sprinkle or to pour, or you know, because the the now here's here's a little. This is important to know too that the dictionary does not tell you what a word means." It tells you how a word is being used in the, the time that it was written. And that's why dictionaries change, right? And so I've got on my desk in my office, the was that the 1828? Uh, is that, yeah, Webster's? That's the one where some of those... Uh, uh, um, 
Church of Christ guys were, were, were kind of helping. You know, they used the Bible to identify a lot of those words. And you look at, the, uh, you know, an updated 2020 dictionary and it's like, whoa, my goodness, what did we do? You know, some of these words just mean nothing anymore. Marriage, man, woman, you know, it's just simple things, you know, it's changed so much. Uh, and so anyway, they changed though because the dictionary doesn't tell you what a word means. It tells you how a word's being used. That's, that's important to know. And so when we are looking up biblical words, stay away from a dictionary. Okay, let's, let's look at, at what the Greek word was and what that word meant, right? And so that's, that's a good way to go with that. But anyway, so baptism is one of those words. It's a made-up word. Now, if, if our goal is to be consistent and specific and accurate, should we use the word baptism? We probably ought to use the word immersion. Okay, I'm not. I'm not saying you're in sin because you're going to say baptism. I'm just. But if we want to be specific and consistent and accurate with the text, immersion is a much. And I try. I try to use the word immerse rather than baptize. But I, I don't always do it. But that's something I'm trying to get in the habit of doing. Now, here's the thing. There, there's a guy um, in the brotherhood that for for most people was esteemed as kind of the greek scholar and he's he's not around anymore but his work is 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 held up by most people and he did a, more probably for for the greek language for our brotherhood than anybody else has um, you know, TNT Ministries, we teach, we teach from this guy's material. Uh, I was taught Greek from people that sat in his class. You know, but, and, and one of his lessons was always on this word baptism, how it should be immersed. You know, he went over the same stuff that we went over, but much more intelligently than I can do. And, you know, but anyway, he was convicted about this. And kind of his life goal was, was his life work was tied up into creating a consistent New Testament translation of, of the Bible. And he did, and well, you know, I've got a copy of that, and I don't know if anyone else may have a copy of it, but it's, he wanted to create an, a, a consistent uh, New Testament translation, right? And so he put this together, and guess what he did with the word baptism? No. He left it baptism. Okay? And so, you know, you wonder sometimes, well, why do these things keep going? Like, why hasn't someone stopped this and just said, well, that's not accurate. Let's just use the word that's meant. I mean, all the translations, all the people that have worked on Bible translations, all the translations that come out, you know, every, every year we get new. Why is it that through ever since the King James Version existed to now, we've got the word baptism. Why hasn't someone said, why don't we just use the word that the Greek word means? You know, why, why don't we, you know, wouldn't that be more accurate, you know? Nobody has, right? We still get the word baptism, okay? And so it makes you think, well, how much of even our language in the church has been dominated and influenced by denominational practices? You know, and it's, it's kind of scary to think about that, you know, because, you know, even, you know, because, again, I don't know any translation that doesn't translate that word baptism. And so that's something to think about. So anyway, uh, the point is that, the Bible that you use, I don't care what Bible translation it is, understand that whatever, whoever put it out, there was an agenda there. Okay, and, and I, none of them are perfect. There is no perfect English translation. Okay, and so that doesn't mean take your translation and throw it out the window today. Okay, uh, I like the New American Standard. I don't think it's the best. Um, I, I like it. It's, it's, you know, I don't know that there is a best. They all, they're all flawed a little bit here and there. What you need to do is recognize 
the areas where they're flawed at, right? And, and so as long as you understand the weaknesses of the translation you're using, you can, you can overcome those things and deal with it, okay? And so, but if we're going to kind of bulk up here and say, no, 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 my translation's perfect, I, I don't know that there's any point in continuing this discussion any further tonight. You see what I mean? And so, now, let's talk about the King James tonight for a little bit. Um, and again, I know I'm stepping on something where, you know, is anyone here just real big fans of the King James? We use the King James? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, don't, I'm, 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 I, don't have a, I don't have a personal problem with it. Okay. So, but it's become the gold standard of translations. It's the translation that every translation is compared to, right? And so everyone kind of looks at the, at the King James as this is the, the best translation. And so everything else kind of comes uh, in comparison with that. Now, let's go through some history here. Where did it come from? Okay, well, we go back to King Henry VIII. What was he known for? There's a song about him, wasn't there? There it is. <laughs> I figured he'd know it. <laughs> uh, so what's this guy known for? His wives, right? How many did he have? Well, he, he, was, he was King Henry VIII. I think he had six is what I, what I remember. Uh, that would be convenient, though, if it was eight, wouldn't it? Yeah, and uh, they all lived happily together, right? No, he killed them all, right? So why why did why did he get rid of them? He wanted yeah, he wanted to trade them in for the younger model, so uh, the the newer model, yeah. But well, he kind of you know well, none of them would produce a son, okay? And so he would get rid of the one for the you know. And what's ironic about that is we know now that who's responsible for that? It was him, yeah. So you know he beheaded the wrong people there, but um, but anyway, so you know what what started was he's he's married to this woman and to his wife, and he is wanting to marry his younger mistress Anne Boleyn. You know she's the, I think probably the most famous one there, and you know at the time he's part of the Catholic Church. King Henry was a Catholic. And the Catholic Church is not going to allow for a divorce. It's not going to happen. And so what King Henry does is he decides start my own church, right? And so he starts the Church of England. And the Church of England was established primarily because we wanted a way to get out of our marriage. I mean, that's, that's really the, the motivation behind this. So there was a fight between King Henry and the Pope and dealing with these wives and trying to get out of this marriage. And so he decides to establish his own church so he could break away from his wife. He, like I said, he ended up doing this six times. Uh, but this was established in the mid-1500s. Okay, now you've got to understand why is the Church of England exist? Well, the selling point is you can get away from your wife, men. And so who's flocking to the Church of England? A bunch of men wanting to get away from their wives, okay? Now that's not the only people. Uh, there's other people who are upset about the, about the Catholic Church. And there's a lot of history to that. We're simplifying this a lot right now. But, but anyway, uh, but that's, that's part of it. So in 1611, okay, this is when the King James Version was, was, was put together, but King James was, was pushing for a Bible translation for the Church of England, right? And, and, and so that was kind of what his, his goal was. And so now the King James is considered, like I said, the, the gold standard out there. And... Um, you know, I've, I've, I've had people argue with me that the King James is what Paul used. We don't need to get into that discussion, do we? Okay, so, you know, again, what, what year was it put together? 
1611, thank you, okay, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, so, uh, but anyway, a lot of people, you know, here's the thing, a lot of people prefer it because it's what they're used to, and that's the thing, I like the New American Standard, it's what I'm used to, right, that's, that's why I prefer it, I like it because it's what I used to, I, I, I used the NIV uh, when I first went to Bible college, and then I took a Greek class, and I got rid of that thing real quick, and, uh, but I, I really like the New American Standard. It worked, seemed to work well with, with the work I was doing in the Greek class. And so that's, that's where I landed with that. But I like it because I prefer it. I've memorized a lot of Scripture through the New American Standard. And so when I hear those same verses, sometimes in a different t- translate, it throws me off a little bit, uh, those sorts of things. So this is my preference. But that's all it is. It's a preference. I'm not going to sit here and say it's better than... Uh, well, it's better than some, but I'm not going to say it's better than all of them, okay? <laughs> um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, so it's a preference, yeah. Uh, so, but a lot of people like the King James. The King James is the most common Bible translation out there. It's still very, very common, very popular, and so a lot of people like it because they're used to it, and that's fine. Uh, some people do say it's authorized. Yeah, yeah, like I said, like, it's the one Paul carried around, you know. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, again, I, hopefully we don't need to deal with that argument. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, the thing is, it's translated for the Church of England, and a big push for the Church of England was we need to find a way out of our marriage, right? We want to get rid of our wives. That was part of the, the reason, that was the main reason the Church of England, England started. And so, let's kind of talk about dishonest translations. There are two distinct words. I know they may look a little bit alike because they start with AP, but they are not the same words. Uh, There's two distinct words here that are translated divorce in our English translations in the Greek. The first word is apoluo, okay? Apoluo. And the second word is apostachian. It sounds like a peanut or a, you know, pistachio. Yeah, so anyway, if if you struggle with the Greek... I'll, I'll accept pistachio for that. Uh, a pistachio, not many, plural, just one, a pistachio. Um, but anyway, these are the two Greek words that we find that get translated divorce in our English translations. Um, our translations are not consistent on this. Some of them will go back and forth. Some of them will get it right here, but wrong over here. But none of them get it right everywhere, okay? And so that's, that's important to know. Now, let's talk about apoluo for a second. Apoluo is consistently translated 69 times in 63 verses this way. It's translated to put away, to send away, to let go, loosed. Okay, that's what this word is. So let's, let's turn and look at some of these real quick uh, just to kind of get a... And, and we'll take the list. Who wants the first one here? That's a big chunk. You want it? Who's me? Okay, who wants the second one? Okay, JR's got it. Third one? Okay, oh, who's, who's got it? Okay, fourth one? It's all in Matthew 27. Anybody? Any takers? Matthew's got it. Mark 6, 36. Someone want that one? Okay, Mark 8, 9. I like the participation, by the way. This is good. Anybody? You can take her. Going okay. We got it. Mark eight nine. Luke two twenty nine. Deborah, you want that one? Luke six thirty six. Okay, very good. And Acts four twenty one and twenty three. You oh you can have it too, Matthew. You want both of them? Yeah. You can make it work. Yeah, we'll give it to you. Yeah, yeah it's a nice day. Yeah, I'm happy to see you today. We'll we'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so anyway, now like I said, this is not this is not 
all of it, right? I mean, we're talking 69 times in 63 verses that word is translated consistently the way that we see here. To put away, to send away, to let go, to loose, right? And all of that means the same thing, right? It can be any one of those four ways to say that we get the same idea. To put something away, to send something away, to let go of something, to loose something. You know, it's all the same idea. So, you know, I would say these are all consistent, accurate translations of that word. So let's, let's go through this list. Uh, the first one, Matthew 14. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away, that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. There were about five thousand men who ate, besides women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Okay. Three times in that section, he sends the crowds away. Right? That's that word apoluo, to send them away. Okay, the next one. Uh, Matthew 15, 32 and 39. Okay, good deal. Yeah. The whole thing's in red. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, very good. So sent away both times. Yeah, very good. Matthew 18, 27. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the death. Okay, released him, loosed him. Okay, Matthew 27, 17, 21, and 26. And therefore they were gathered together. Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? But the other answered and said to them, Which of the two Okay, released Barabbas after he released Barabbas. Okay, uh, Mark six thirty six. Okay, very good. Send them away. Mark eight nine. Okay, sent them away. Luke two twenty nine. Okay, depart is the word. Luke six thirty six. Yeah, or forgive, and you shall be forgiven. It's to, it's to loose, it's to let go, yeah, or be merciful. So it's, it's tied up there in that, that idea. Is that the right verse? That's the right verse, yeah. Uh, Acts 4, 21 and 23. 
Okay, thank you. So every, every one of these, we can see same idea, right? I mean, you can hear that word. When we, the only one that's a little odd is the merciful, the forgiven. Uh, but again, it's, it's that idea of letting, letting go, let, letting loose of something. And so in every one of these, these accounts, and it's 69 times in 63 verses, you're going to find the same thing over and over again. That word apoluo means to put away, to send away, to let go, to let loose, to release. And the Bible consistently translates it accurately, Right? I mean, there's no part of any of those verses where we would say, now, hey, now, I don't know if that's what that word really means. It's very clear. We know exactly what that word means. Now, when we get into Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 19, and you all have your, your sheets there in front of you, this, this, this word's used 69 times in 63 verses, and every time it's translated like we just talked about. Not until Matthew chapter 5 or Matthew chapter 19 do we find the same word, and for whatever reason, now we're going to translate that word divorce. Okay, to divorce somebody. Okay. Um, and so, this is, I think I have on your sheets, I think I've got it in several different translations. Uh, I've got it in three translations because I thought that would kind of be the, what's consistent there. But um, up here I've got it in the King James, okay. It hath been said, whoever shall put away. Now, did they do that one right? Yes put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. That's the second word, apostasian. But I say unto you, whoever shall put away, did they do that one right? Yep, his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her, that is, is that one right? It's not right, is it? Who is sent away, committeth adultery. Again, ye have heard that it has been said by them of the old time, thou shalt not forswe- uh, forswear thyself, shall perform unto the Lord thine oaths. Okay? Uh, and then, of course, if, uh, I don't know if I've got it. No, that's just, if you look at your sheet, okay, we can look at the New American Standard next. It was said, whoever sends away his wife, that one's right. Let, her, let him give her a certificate of divorce, that's right. But I say to you, everyone who divorces, is that one right? No, his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her committeth adultery. And whoever marries a divorced, is that right? No, that's where, so the New American Standard's got it wrong twice. New International Version has it wrong every time. Every time, yeah. So, um, so anyway, <clears throat> yeah, so that's, that's worth thinking about here. So, like I said, you know, in every instant you're going to see a little bit of dishonesty there where, where like even the King James Version, it's why would we use put away? I mean, we're talking within like three verses here. We see this word put away. We see this word put away. We see this word, well, let's put down divorced. I mean, why would you, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you be consistent, right? I mean, if you're dealing with the same Greek word, why would you use a different English word in the same context? And the, you know, because the original text... Right? I mean, is Jesus using different words? He's using the same word there. Right? He's saying apoluo, apoluo, apoluo. And, and seeing that, the translators put, put away, put away. Let's use divorced here. Okay? And then it's worse in the other translations. Okay? Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, you know, we get this word that's put away every time it's used. We get to Matthew 5 and we'll look at Matthew 19. And it's like, well, sometimes we got it right and sometimes we translated it differently. So let's look at Matthew 19, um, verses 3 through 10. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man 
to put away. Did they get that one right? Yeah. His wife for every cause. Matthew 19, 7. They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give him a writing of divorcement? So that's right. And to put her away. He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away. Is that one right? Yep, your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whoever shall put away, that one's right, uh, his wife except to, be, except to be for fornication, shall marry another, committeth adultery, who's marrieth her which is put away, that one's right as well, uh, doth commit adultery. Uh, when you look at the other translations, we see other problems here. Um, so just the New American Standard, which I believe, did I even put that one in there? I did not this time around. Okay, but but anyway, we can see what the text is, is what what the text is doing there. So my my point is that either way we look at this, we've got people who are translating the Bible that are you know smart enough to translate this word correctly every time it's used, sixty nine times it's used, and then at one instance we decide I think this word means divorce here right? But we wouldn't translate that word divorce anywhere else. We wouldn't say, do you all want me to, to divorce Jesus or divorce Barabbas? Doesn't make sense in that context, right? Uh, Jesus didn't go and divorce the crowds, right? That didn't happen. You know, he, he sent them away, right? They, they, who do you want me to release, right? So those things make sense. But here, like I said, so my point is this is, this is intentional and it's dishonest to translate like this, right? When you're going to be accurate every time, but one time you're going to be different, you do that intentionally. You do that with your eyes wide open. And so, you know, now, again, how can, how can this continue, right? How is it that we've had so many Bible translations and we get to a point where we're looking at the Greek today and we can see these things don't match up and yet our English translations continue to get them wrong? If you're lucky, you've got a reference in the middle of your, of your page there that'll show you that that one instance, you know, for example, over here it, where it's divorced, but it's apaluo, it'll probably, probably make the correction in your reference margin. Um, but again, uh, the, the, the guy that did the new, new consistent translation, you know, uh, in the brotherhood, you know, when it came to the issue of divorce, he, he, he taught the same thing, but when he did his own translation, guess what he did with it? He left it. Yeah, he left it just like everybody else did, see? And so there's, there's this, this tremendous amount of pressure there, you know, from... I don't know, everybody, I guess, to, to not rock the boat on some of these issues. But I just want you to see that, okay, there's, there's got to be a little bit of dishonesty here. Now, let's take a break. Let's do that. Let's take a break, and then we'll get on with this. I didn't realize what time it was. Short break. We may not get done early tonight. <laughs> okay. All right, so, so here's, here's the deal. Okay, we look at these words here. Um, does it matter? That's the big question. Is there, is there really a difference? And, and does it matter? So let's start off with this. What is God's standard for marriage? What is His plan? What is His standard? 
That's right. Yeah, you know, uh, two shall you know, and he brings that up right here, right? It, well, it's not. It's in Matthew nineteen four through six. He says, "Have you not read that he who created them from beginning made them uh, male and female?" And he said, "For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Uh, what God uh, joined together, let no man separate. Let no man put asunder." So that that is God's plan for marriage from the beginning. Now, one of the things that people always bring up is we always want to go to Matthew 5, Matthew 19, and it's always like, well, we're trying to figure out how to get out of our marriage. You don't get out of a marriage. Even if you divorce, okay, if, if, if you've been through divorce, if you know a divorced couple, it's not like you were never married. That person is in your life, especially if there were kids involved, for the rest of your life. And so maybe you get divorced, you're not married any longer, but it's not like it never happened, right? And so it is still marriage, regardless of what happens, marriage is a lifelong commitment. You know, so don't, you know, don't enter into a marriage lightly because you, you don't, you know, like I said, even if, if you, you get out of the marriage, you're not, out, you're not really out of it. It's that person's in your life forever. So... Um, but anyway, this is the this is the plan. Matthew not chapter 19, you know, the question is asked and we looked at this. Um, you know, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And we'll we'll talk about that. It's real important that for any reason at all is what they're asking, okay? And Jesus is saying, "Hey, that's not the plan, right? From the beginning, God created marriage. This is the plan. Uh, marriage is supposed to be forever. You know, a man and a woman put together. What God puts together, let no man pull apart. Um, that's the idea. And so, um, so that's, that's, that's important as well. Uh, the other thing is, you know, we, we were, people are always looking and saying, well, this is, uh, this is the New Testament teaching about marriage and divorce. Is Matthew New Testament or Old Testament? We're in the old, this isn't new, right? I mean, Jesus is referring to Old Testament standards. He's, he's, he's backing this up with Old Testament scripture, right? You're, you're, you know, if you're looking for a biblical reason to get out of your marriage, good, you're not going to find one. Okay, I'll, I'll just say that. God, there's no point where Jesus sits up and says, here's how you do this to get out of the marriage you entered. It's not in there, okay? Because it's not supposed to be the plan. Um, you know, and so that's, that's important to know. The other thing, though, is when we, we think about this is about getting out of, out of America in 2023. Women were treated very, very differently in Bible times than they are treated today. And I know today with our feminist movement, it's easy to hark on the Bible. And the, because of the Bible, we've got the patriarchy and toxic masculinity and all of that sort of a thing. And, you know, men being men are to blame for everything that's wrong with the world. Listen, Jesus did more for the equality of a woman than anybody ever dreamed of doing before. Um, in the Old Testament, women were property property in, in line with a with an ox or a goat livestock and were treated that way Jesus says in Christ there is neither male nor female right Jesus is the only you know he comes and levels the playing field people like to go into Timothy and say well a woman has to receive instruction in silence we we, we emphasize the wrong end of that we emphasize silence you understand what a big deal it is that a woman must receive instruction? Right? They're not to be left out. 
right? We, we aren't allowed to only teach the men, right? Women must also receive instruction. That's a huge deal. And today we don't even hear that part of it. You know what I mean? And so Jesus you know, levels that playing field. for and, 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 and like I said, so many people look down on Christianity and say, well, look what they've done to women. No, they've done so much for women, you know? And, and so that's, that's really important to see that there. But in the Old Testament, you know, a, a woman was treated like, like, like property. She didn't have any rights. And so until she was married, who'd she belong to? Her father, and if father wasn't around? Brothers. Okay, she was she belonged to her father or her brothers. And when she, you know, when and, and part of the marriage, right, there was the, this marriage is a legally binding contract, right? And there's 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 a dowry. What was the dowry for? A bribe to take her? Well, you know, it but my point is there's an exchange of goods and money there, right? And so this is legally binding. And and so once she was betrothed to a man, she is no longer under the care of her father and her brothers. She belongs to that man, right? That's the idea. She takes his name, right? And there's dowry paid, there's an exchange of goods. He becomes she becomes the responsibility of, of the man she's betrothed to. Okay? And so well, how do you get out of a marriage? Okay, and again, don't think America 2023 will just go to the courthouse and file some paperwork and it's all over with. That, you know, God's standard is the two shall become one. Let no man put asunder what God has joined together. How do you get out of it? Hmm? Well, okay, no, no, we're on to something here. We've all said it, right? Until death do us part. Right? So how do you get out of marriage? Okay? Okay. First uh, Corinthians 7.39 A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. If her husband's dead, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. What is it? <laughs> what do we stir up here tonight? <laughs> Romans 7.2 for the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. If her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. Okay? Now, so God's standard is that, you know, until death do us part, right? We are bound together. It's a legally binding contract. The, but the woman, in, in the eyes of the Old Testament, she was, she's basically property, and she is the responsibility uh, and belongs to that man, right? And so, uh, now here's the thing. People, even God's people, right? In in the Old Testament, you know, we've we've got. I mean, we're in the Book of Malachi. I mean, how 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 sincere and upright is everyone being with God's standards and God's law? They're not, right? And there's a history here of the Old Testament people finding ways. To, well, this is what I want, and God's law is standing in my way. So you know, I'll just find my way around that. You know, and and they they constantly are doing this. And so here's these men. Uh, with with their their you know hardened hearts, start getting this idea that if I want to get rid of if I want a new wife, well I'll just I'll just get rid of this one, 
Okay, and so they put her out. They put her away. Okay, they apaluo. That's the idea. And this is a lot. You know, maybe we would call this shunning her today, right? It's they take her to the edge of the property, let her go, uh, don't come back. That's kind of the idea. And so it's it's turn to Genesis chapter twenty-one and verse ten. What did Abraham do to Hagar there? Okay, sent her away. Right. Let's just get rid of. Let's send her out. Okay. So he drives her out. That's the idea. You don't have to turn there. It's, that's the reference. Uh, but anyway, you can if you'd like. But anyway, the point is, here, here's this woman who is married to this man, but then, you know, and, and, but you're going to send her away, okay? Well, what rights does she have? Like, what are her options at this point? Is she going to go back home? Why not? She'd be ashamed. Is dad going to take her? No, not, you're not our responsibility anymore. There was, there was an exchange of money here. There was goods and a legally binding contract. You belong to him. You can't come home, right? So what else are you going to do? Okay, welfare. <laughs> okay, well again, not America in 2023. So yeah, um, you know, well, I guess she could just sit at the gate and wait for the husband to change your mind, right? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? How long till that uh, doesn't work out? Yeah, she could she go get remarried? Well, has there been a divorce? All he did is kick her out. You see, he all he did is send her out. Now, so she, you know, now she could lie, but here's the thing: if she goes into town and lies, and maybe says she's a widower, or, you know, maybe says that she's not been married and marries another man, then then what's the husband going to do? Well, she's mine, and now she's committing adultery, right? Okay, well, that's, just, that's, that's an issue, right? What's the punishment for adultery? Yeah, so she commits adultery while she's married. She dies. Well, then, what, then, then I got my way out of my marriage, didn't I? And, and, and it ain't my fault. Because, now here's the thing. You know, I know this sounds wicked. I've met these kind of guys even today. Right, I went out of my marriage, but I don't want to be the responsible one. So they'll make it as miserable as possible for the woman until she decides to leave. And then he comes out like a white, like, you know, a knight in shining armor. You know, look what this woman did to me. Left me, you know, treats me like garbage, ran off with another guy. You know, he drove her out by, you know, this is what he wanted, right? I mean, I've seen that happen. I've seen where that's the intention. I want out of this marriage, but I don't want it to be my fault right? And so guilt, right? And we start working our way around that. And I've seen that in a lot of things, okay? But I've seen it in marriages too. And so don't think it's so far-fetched to think that they'd do something similar to that. So we just kick her out, right? What's she going to do? Sit there and starve to death? She can go into town, become a working woman, okay? And then all you got to do is find her and say, look, she committed adultery, stone her. She could lie and remarry, even though she's still married to me. And then all I got to do is find her and say, look, she's committed adultery and stone her to death. Either way, I get out and I look pretty good and she looks like the one that ran off on me and now I can marry my new bride. Do we think this happened? What happens in John there with the woman caught in adultery? Yeah? See, I've heard people say, well, no, 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 Ethan, because they weren't actually practicing this anymore. They seem to be, right? You know, what do you want us to do with it? The law says stone her to death. Where's the man in that account? The law said she had to be caught in adultery, and it takes two to tango. To be caught in the very act is what they said. Where's the man? 
Why isn't he being dragged out there? It's probably one of them. That's it too, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> you need to leave. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, you know, something to think, you know, it was, always, it was always the woman, right? She's the only one that's paying a price in this scenario. She's the only one that gets hurt in this scenario. She, you know, and there's no way to protect her, right? Because of the hardness of evil men, you know, if they wanted to do this to a woman, there's no way to protect that woman, right? And so, like I said, she can't go back home. She's, she belongs to that man, right? And so, you know, there's not, she doesn't have a lot of, uh, she doesn't have a lot of options, okay? And again, here's, here's, here's what, if a man is found lying with a married woman, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman, thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. And so, if a woman is caught committing adultery because she's still married, even though you drove her off, um, do you need to divorce that woman? How do you get out of a marriage? Till death do us part? Do you need to divorce the woman? Don't need to divorce the woman. She's going to be dead. She's been caught, right? And so... A man found lying with a married woman. Yeah. But in their practice, in their practice of this, it seems to be, especially when you look at their, what is it, John 8 with the woman at the well, you know, it seems to be uh, the woman always paying the price, okay? And so, you know, the, the idea, what they're practicing is sending a woman away, okay, abandoning a woman with the intention of causing fornication, which is grounds for death, okay? Now, when you think about this, let's, let's think back to Malachi real quick. What were the priests doing? Let's go back and look at that real quick in, in Malachi chapter 2. Think about how it's worded here. <clears throat> Let's start in verse 14, chapter 2. You say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously. That word means to be dealing with her violently, right? To cause violence to. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, but not one has done so with the remnant of the spirit. And what did that one do while seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit. Let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. Verse 16, for I hate, and guess what that word is? It's not divorce. Apoluo. I hate sending away says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with violence. It says wrong. I think we, we brought that up in the class. That is the word for violence, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. What are they doing with their wives in order to marry these, uh, these pagan idol worshipers? They're abandoning their wives, right? And, and in doing so, he uses words like treacherous and violence uh, you're co- you're, you're, you know, we, we mentioned they're covering their garments with violence, right? God's saying, you can't hide from it. I, I, you know, I can see through your motives. Okay, what they're doing, they're abandoning their women, their wives, for the intention of causing fornication, which is grounds for death. Because again, what are her options? Now, back in the Matthew 19... Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man, it'll say divorce in some of our translations, but the word is apoluo, put away his wife for any reason at all. 
Now, does it seem like this is still the practice of the day? Yeah. Okay, and so we send the woman, we abandon our wives. Okay, and then we can, we, you know, and, and what, does that, what does that lead to? Usually some sort of violent end, right? And so is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for any reason at all? Now, what we find out is not only is this an issue of the day, I mean, this was a very common issue of the day. You can read up on some of the Jewish scholars, uh, Alfred Edersheim, I think, is that Edersheim? We'll go with that one. You know, he, he's, uh, you know, the sketches of Jewish life, the days and life of Jesus Christ. He brings some of this stuff up in his books as well. Um, you know, there was basically two thoughts among the Jewish people of the day. There was a conservative view and a more liberal view, just like today uh, with just about everything, but uh, dealing with divorce and marriage, okay? And so the conservative view was, okay, if you're gonna send your wife away, if you're gonna put your wife away, you gotta have a good reason, the problem with, what's the problem with that line of thinking? What's your good reason? Yeah, so I mean, Chris may think he's, he's got a good reason. Jake may think he's got a good reason. You know, there, we don't define a good reason, right? That's the problem. And so, you know, that's, that's one issue. The other school of thought, a little more liberal, was any reason at all. Okay, so they want Jesus to weigh in on the argument of the day. Do you think it's lawful to, to, to put away, to send away, to abandon your wife for any reason at all? And, and so like I said, this is still going on. Now, in Matthew chapter 19, what we have going on here, and you may want to go ahead and turn there in your, in your books there so we can get the whole context. In Matthew chapter 19, they're asking Jesus about this question. And Jesus is not, again, he's not telling us how to get out of your marriage. He's not giving us a new Testament view of divorce. That's, that's not what's going on here. Jesus actually responds to this question with, we already dealt with this in Deuteronomy, right? Moses dealt with this a long time ago. Nothing has changed. And so he takes us back uh, to, uh, to Deuteronomy 24.1, which is what he's quoting. He says, when a man takes, this is Deuteronomy 24.1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. Okay, and so back to the, to the Matthew account, okay, this is what Jesus is referring to, okay, they ask, okay, is there, you know, for any reason at all, and he responds here, verses 7 and 8, they said, to, uh, it's the wrong place, 7 and 8, here it is, they said, why then did, you know, so he says, what well, God has put together, let no man separate, they respond, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it's not been this way. So again, Jesus is not saying, this is how you do it, this is what you need to do. He's saying that the plan is, you get into a marriage and you, you, that covenant means something, and what God puts together, you, you don't separate. But because of the hardness of people's hearts, okay, um, you know, because you're going to do whatever you want to do anyway, here's a way to protect the woman in this scenario. And, and you've got to understand, that's what this was. The certificate of divorce was a way to give this woman some options. That's it. This was just a way to protect her because of the hardness of men's hearts. And so, I want you to look at this. There's three things that have to happen here. The man, if he's going to send his wife out, okay, 
he has to, number one, write her a certificate of divorce. That's step one. Step two, put it in her hand. He has to actually give it to her. She has to have possession of that paper. So who's the paper for? It's for her, right? It's not for his protection. It's not for some legal document somewhere to get the genealogies right or say, no, this is, she has to have this in her possession, right? That's what, what Moses commanded. That's what God commanded through Moses. And the third step is to send her out from your house. And then we find, is she free to remarry? And she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. Okay. So, now, is this the plan? No. And, and keep this in mind, okay? You know, we can, go to, we can go to 1 John. You know, I write these things so that you do not sin. But if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Is the goal for us to sin? No. The goal is for us to not sin. But if we sin, there's provision for that, right? Is the goal for a marriage to end? Never. Never. But because men can have hardened hearts and some people make bad choices and these things can happen, there's a way to protect the woman in this situation. You write the certificate of divorce, you put it in her hand, and then you send her out. What if you just send her out? Right? You've abandoned this woman. Yeah, so three things are necessary. So, but here's the thing. If she's got the certificate of divorce in her hand, this gives her some options. Can she go home? Well, I mean, she doesn't belong to her husband anymore, right? But she's got options. You know, maybe, maybe dad or brothers don't want her, but, you know, but she's got some, could she remarry? Yeah, she could remarry without worrying about the, the first husband coming and claiming, hey, she's mine, kill her. Right? She doesn't have to become a working woman. Okay? Uh, you know, those sorts of... So this just gives her some options, gives her some freedom. She's officially broke from the man. But it's also to make sure that the man... There is a process to this. It wasn't supposed to be easy for the man to be able to do this either. Okay? Now look here in Matthew... Or in Jeremiah chapter 3. Okay? This is God referring to Israel. I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister, sister Judah did not fear, but she was, uh, went out and was a harlot also. Okay? What kind of relationship did God have with Israel? They were in part of a covenant together, right? And then what does God do? He writes a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her off. Okay? Now, does he send Judah out? Where did Israel go when he sent them out? They went into captivity. Right? Did they come back? That was the end of that. Did he give Judah a certificate of divorce? Now, they were sent out as well. Where'd they go? Did they come back? Yeah. Babylon. Yeah. So, so we see, you know, God, God practiced this as well. Okay. Um, now, you know, should this have happened? Why did it happen with Israel? Because the hardness of their hearts, right? That, that's the idea. And so, 
you know, but like I said, it doesn't say the same thing about Judah as far as the, the writ of divorce. Uh, Judah is sent out, but she, she's also brought back, okay? And so, anyway, a couple of things to think about there. So, back to Matthew 5, Matthew 19. Uh, let's kind of look at that again if you've got your papers there. You know, this is not telling us how to get a divorce. It's not telling us how to get out of our marriage. We need to, to not look at that that way at all there. Jesus is dealing with a common uh, popular issue of the day, right? The, the Jewish culture, they, they, uh, they, they debated this, you know, about marriage and, and what was going on. And, and personally, I, I, you know, I see this, you know, I, I, I see a lot of lot going on there in 1 Timothy 3 with the qualification for an elders being that he is a husband of what? One wife, and it's like that's that's worded strangely. You know what I mean? It's it's a husband of one wife, and so, you know, and and I've heard people trying to say, well, uh, you know, a divorced man can't be an elder. I'm I'm not saying that he can or can't. I personally, I, I you know, I I I don't I don't know. I'm I'm not. I've got personal convictions about that, but I, I don't know that I can back it up. I, I, you know, I don't know necessarily that a divorced man is a good quali- uh, candidate for an elder. Um, you know, but I also don't know that from the text in 1 Timothy 3 that I can definitely say that that alone would disqualify him. Okay? I think other things in there would, would, would be the issue with, with that. To me, a husband of one wife means you've got a man, then how many wives does he have? One. But, but I say that because I do believe that the common practice at the time was that men were sending their wives away and not divorcing them. And so it's very likely that you would be a man with a wife, but you would also still have another wife somewhere that you've abandoned. And it seems like they were doing that in Malachi. Uh, it seems like they were doing that in Matthew 19. Is it lawful to just put, abandon my wife for any reason at all? Um, now, now that's, that's my opinion on that, you know, so, you know, take that for what you want. Uh, but it's, it's something to consider and think about there. Let, let's look at the text here in Matthew chapter 5. Let's see if I can go back to this. Uh, we'll use the King James there. It's been said, <clears throat> whoever puts away his wife, um, so abandons his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Okay? But I say unto you, whoever shall abandon his wife, put away his wife, this is strange. Saving for the cause of fornication. Let's talk about that for a minute. It doesn't say adultery. The, the Greek word there is, is, is uh, porneia. It's where we get it's where we get like pornography from, but it, it, it's, has anyone ever done a search on that word or, or word study on it? I mean, it, it encompasses basically, you can't get around, it's every ty- type of sexual immorality is wrapped up into this, right? And so, you know, you, you can't really say that this is only adultery unless you think that adultery is, is any at all, you know, I, I, it's, my point is it's broader than just uh, a woman sleeping with an, uh, another man than her husband. You see what I mean? Or a man sleeping with another woman than, her, than her, his, his wife, okay? It's any type of sexual immorality is, 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 is caught up into that word. It's a very broad word, okay? Uh, and so, and it's a serious word, you know? And so that por- pornoia or porneia, it, it encompasses a very wide array of sexual sins there. Saving for the cause of fornication. So fornication is, is right there in the King James. That's, that's, that's probably the best translation of that. Saving for. Um, some translations say except for. Uh, I, you know, it's, I, don't, I don't think any of those are very good with the way that the, it's, it's twisted up here. Uh, it should be 
even to cause fornication. Even to cause fornication. Whoever puts away his wife even to cause fornication is a better translation than except for or saving for, for fornication. And I, I, maybe, it, maybe that doesn't seem very different to you. It seems a lot different to me, okay? A lot different to me. Um, but that's, that's something to look into there. And so, whoever puts away his wife, okay, causeth her to commit adultery. Well, why, why would that cause her to commit adultery? Yeah, she's still in a covenant relationship with her husband. Okay, and so whoever shall marry her that's put away, not divorced, put away, committeth adultery. Okay, and so if I abandon my wife, what are her options? Well, she's, she's probably going to have to find another man or, or die or something like, you know, something's going to happen there. And so if another man marries her, He's committing adultery, and so is she, because she's still married to me. She's my wife, right? And so, um, now, if she's committed adultery, do I need to divorce her? Okay, well, what's going to happen to her? She's going to die, right? You, you don't need to divorce the woman that's being stoned to death. You see what I mean? So uh, that's, that's something to think about. I don't, I don't see anywhere in this where you can say the only reason you can divorce your wife is if she's committed adultery. I, I, the text is not even about that. Jesus isn't trying to tell us this is the reason to divorce your wife. But he's telling us that if you marry a woman that, that has been abandoned and is still married, you are committing adultery. And if you abandon your wife and put her in that situation, right, you're causing her to be an adulteress, right? And so that's the idea. And Malachi calls this a treacherous act, uh, of even a violent act. And so anyway, uh, that phrasing there, uh, saving for, except for the cause of fornication, um, you know, do some looking into that. It's, uh, if you can find anything that doesn't have an agenda with that, good luck. But, but if you find anything that's honest, it's, uh, you're going to find out we've, we don't have very good translations on that phrasing. Uh, <clears throat> Um, for uh, even to cause fornication. Even to cause fornication. Okay. Uh, and you can look in the Matthew account in 19 and see the same kind of idea there. Um, when we get into, when we get into Malachi, okay, that, that it, it's, it's worse than what we saw in the New Testament. The Hebrew word that is sent away in the in the uh, in the Old Testament is a word I think it would be pronounced shalak or shalak. It is used now here now in the New Testament we said 69 times in 63 63 verses and then twice it's translated divorce right but every other time it's sent away and the and this Hebrew word is used 847 times in the Old Testament 847 times and it's sent away it's loosed it's released one time. It's translated divorce, and that's in Malachi chapter 2. God hates divorce. It's the only time they translated it that way. In every other account, it's sent away, put away, released, loosed. And so, what does God hate? 
here, here's, here's some food for thought, and you all can think on this however you want. If, if we make divorce the sin, then we have issues with trying to figure out how to repent. Okay, if, if my, me and my wife divorce, how do I repent from that? Well, that's where we come up with doctrines like, well, you have to remarry her. Or, you know what I mean? And, and those sorts of things. Because, I mean, how do you make that right? Because repentance can't just be, I'm sorry it happened. I mean, you know, you, you have to change. Okay, and so if we make divorce the sin, that's, that's an issue. As far as I'm concerned, the sin is what causes a divorce. And, you know, and, and, and here's the thing. I, you know, I, think, I think this is an accurate, 100% accurate statement. Anytime a divorce is in question, it's because God's pattern for that marriage has not been upheld, period. And so repentance is called for in that situation. Um, should divorce happen? No. There's no situation where I would uh, counsel someone to get a divorce, uh, where I would be um, encouraging that to happen, where I wouldn't be doing everything in my power to fight for a marriage to stay working and to work maybe for the first time if it never has. Um, again, if the, the marriage isn't working, it's, it's probably uh, because, well, it's always because God's pattern and plan for that marriage is not being uh, upheld. And, uh, and that's, that's something to think about. And so, you know, here, you know, it it's, seems to be the idea that a, you know, a woman who's been put away with a certificate of divorce is free to marry. We see that there in the Deuteronomy account in 1 Corinthians 7, 27, 28. We see it there too. Uh, he tells us not to seek to be loosed from our wife, but if you, you are loosed from a wife and you marry, uh, it's not a sin. You've not sinned. Uh, I put in your notes there, now this is not Bible, okay? This is historical uh, Jewish history. Uh, we don't have in the Bible what that certificate of divorce would look like. We don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't have an example of it. I, the only example I have is what we have here with Jeremiah, what God does with Israel. You know, that he sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. And, you know, and so you can kind of go through Jeremiah there and say, well, what did God tell Israel when, when he, he sent them away? And so maybe it looked something like that. But according to history, uh, there is a copy of a, of a, of a Jewish divorce bill there. Um, and that this is from that sketches of Jewish social life in the days of Christ. Uh, and so you can take that for what you want. But again, it seemed to be that the Jewish custom was that this, this, this freed the woman uh, completely from, from the, the contract with the husband and uh, you know, released her from him, uh, given her some options and allowing her to, to marry if, if that's what she chose to do. And so those are things to think about. Uh, but back to what we're dealing with in Malachi, you know, again, for the priests to have dealt treacherously with the wives of their youth, uh, for God to mention that he uh, was witnesses to the covenant that they made with their wives. And then the fact that they are remarrying with these, these, these pagan women that are idol worshipers. And God says that he hates what has happened to their wives. He hates that they put them away and, and they have covered themselves in violence and have acted treacherously toward their wives. Um, I think when you, you start thinking, well, how, would, how could that have actually played out? Uh, it's pretty vile uh, to think that they were treating women that way. Um, but again, we see, we see the same attitudes today in people as well. So anyway, that's what I've got for tonight. I, hopefully this has helped. Uh, maybe it's uh, caused some people to think about some things a little differently. Um, 
if, if you've got different takes on this that you'd like to share with me, I'm open for that as well. Uh, and like I said, this is by no means a comprehensive look at the topic, uh, but um, something worth, worth looking into there.